Amen. You may be seated. We all know the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. But what's a disciple look like? It seems uh, apparent, probably obvious, I guess we could say, in the body of Christ that there's no consensus or specific definition that everybody goes by when it comes to being a disciple because the church is making different people into different things. In John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews that believed on him. Now, I want you to notice this. He's talking specifically. He's been ministering to a crowd of people. And it says, then many of the Jews believed on him when he said these things. And now he talks to them. He said to the Jews that believed on him, the believers, that has to mean that they believed that he was the Messiah. They had to believe, they had to, it has to mean that they believed that he was sent from God. Has to. There's nothing else that it could have meant. So Jesus said to those that believed on him, the Jews that believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Notice he made a distinction between believers and disciples. I wonder if there's the same difference today. I wonder if you can be a believer and not a disciple today. They were. Jesus does not want them to stay that way. He does not want them to stay just as believers and not as disciples. So he tells them how to make the transition from being a believer to a disciple. He said, if you continue in my word. So discipleship is all about the word. Being who God wants you and I to be is all about the word of God. Has to be. That's what Jesus said. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. And you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Folks, I've got good news for you. God wants you to be free. Jesus said in another place, he whom the son has set free is free indeed. That word indeed means in every respect, in every every characteristic, in every aspect, in every way. God wants you to be free in every way. He wants you and me and all of his children to demonstrate the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ over God's mortal enemy, the devil. That's God's plan. That's his will. But you know as well as I do that not everybody gets there. You know as well as I do that there are a lot of people that because of a lack of knowledge of the truth never do get free, at least in every respect. Now, the greatest power the devil can exercise against any person is identified in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And it says this, it says, the God of this world, talking about the lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them, talking about the unsaved, lest they should receive the glorious light of the gospel. So the greatest power that the devil can ever exercise against any human being is by blinding their mind to the truth to keep them out of the kingdom of God. Would you agree? That has to be true, doesn't it? And there's no other option. That's the greatest exercise of the devil's authority that he's able to use, the greatest influence. And it's to blind people's minds to the truth, to blind people's minds to the knowledge that the word of God brings us about what they can be and who they can be in Christ. But think about it this way. At the devil's strongest point, 
keeping an unbeliever blinded. How does that unbeliever make the change? How does he get out of that bondage of the enemy and enter into the family of God? We know it's something that God wants for everybody. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I want you to notice there's a difference in those two things too. There's a difference in being saved and coming to the knowledge of the truth. Just like he told the Jews that believed on him in John chapter 8. Jesus said to the Jews that believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And then you'll know the truth from the word. And then the truth will make you free. So it's God's will for nobody to be lost or remain unsaved. It's his will for all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Don't stop at just getting saved. Come to the knowledge of the truth because the truth will make you free when you know it through the word. So what does the unbeliever do? Well, Romans chapter 10 tells us that the unbeliever, when they hear the good news of Jesus and what he did for us and the sacrifice he made for us, the, the death that he died in our place, any person can at any time, as a result of their own will, accept the good news of Jesus and his sacrifice and come into the family of God by believing in his heart and making a confession with his mouth, Jesus is Lord and Savior. So how does anybody, even the unsaved, conquer the power of the devil in his life? Through words. The story in Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius had an angel appear to him, and told him to send to the city of Joppa in a certain place, a certain house for a man named Peter who will tell thee words whereby thou and thy household shall be saved. People are saved by words. The power of the devil is broken over people's lives by words. The bondage of unrighteousness and separation from God is defeated by words. Well, the same ones in Cornelius' house that got saved by hearing the words that Peter spoke were filled with the Holy Ghost. Therefore, we would have to conclude that people are filled by the Holy Ghost through words. Hearing what God's plan is, believing in his heart, and saying with his mouth, bring somebody into the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We also know from Acts chapter 14... That people are healed by hearing words. The crippled man in Lystra heard Paul speak. Paul steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Said to the crippled man with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped and walked. So the words that the crippled man heard brought him to the place of faith. Paul helped him. To release his faith by telling him to stand upright. And he did and he was healed. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3. I believe the book of Hebrews was written by Paul. You may hear that a time or two. People are so funny. They think they don't know. They think I don't know that I say that all the time. So I'm going to assume that I'm correct. 
because it's certainly Paul's message. Paul said in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 11, he said, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which do appear, this physical realm, which we can see and feel, was not made by things that do appear. They were, it was made by unseen things, things that don't appear, things that are invisible. And he's already defined those invisible building blocks as words. That means that Paul understood through continuing in the word, through the work that he did and the relationship he had with the Lord, Paul understood that words were the building blocks of the universe. Words were the building blocks of the universe. Now, the Bible tells us very specifically that we were created in the image and likeness of God. We think that means appearance, but that's not all it means. There are similarities in appearance, of course. But made in the image of God means that mankind, male and female, as he created us. I'm glad there's only two gender options. Now, not everybody agrees with that, but the Bible's pretty clear. God created us in his image. In other words, with the opportunity to act as he does, with the opportunity to think as he thinks, and with the opportunity to speak as he speaks. In other words, the Bible tells us that just as words were the building blocks of the universe, words are the building blocks of your life. There are times when I think you talk so much about what people say. You talk so much about words. You talk so much about confession. Don't you think that people want to hear something different? Have you ever noticed how much Jesus talked about words? Think about it. Give me some illustrations where he did not talk about words. Even the ones that don't directly address words, the words that we speak, it's all indirectly associated with it. Jesus talked about his walking in love. Well, how do we learn about the love of God? Through his word. How do we express the love of God in our daily lives? Through the words that we speak. Do you realize how few things you do in life without saying it first? There are very few things that we do in life without speaking words first or as a part of what we're doing. Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, verse 26, he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Now, earlier in the chapter, he identifies, he tells the disciples the parable of the sower sowing the word. And he identifies that the sower is sowing the word of God. By speaking it. And he talks about how the seed will produce different results in different types of people. Depending on the attention. That we give to the word of God. And the attention. That we give to the words that we speak. He said the whole kingdom of God is like that. Now he defines what the kingdom of God is for us in Matthew chapter 6. In the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God 
and everything pertaining to the kingdom of God is where the will of God is done on the earth just like it is in heaven. You want to know what God's like on the earth? You want to know what God wants here on the earth? Since God never changes, he wants the same thing here on the earth as he wants in heaven. And he made it that way. He made the earth to be that way. It didn't stay that way because of the fall of man. But that's the way God intended for it to be. His will doesn't change. If he wanted the, if he wanted the earth to be a place where the will of God was reflected by making a man in his image to operate in the same way that he does, he, God does, by speaking words and seeing results. If that's what God wanted in the beginning, that's what he wants now. Well, if you think of it in those terms, it makes understanding the will of God and knowing the will of God very simple. All you have to do is ask yourself, is something a certain way in heaven? And if it is, that's the way God wants it to be here. We know there's no sickness and disease in heaven, so it's not God's will for there to be sickness and disease here in your life. Now, we as the church don't have the authority. Our authority is limited. We don't have the authority to wipe out sickness and disease over the whole earth. But we can take our authority and use our authority based on his word, knowing the will of God to chase sickness and disease off from our bodies. There's no poverty or lack in heaven. In fact, there's such an abundance in heaven that God uses gold for uh, paving streets. The Bible tells us. What does that mean? Well, there's no exchange of money in heaven. We're operating on a little bit of a different system. But God is the God of abundance. There is no lack in heaven, so he didn't want there to be any lack in your life. Knowing the truth about that will make you free. Knowing the truth about healing will set you free. Now, Jesus, in telling us in Mark chapter 4 about the parable of the sower sowing the word, when the disciples came to him and asked him for an explanation of what all these things mean, Jesus said some very interesting things. He said, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. That's about verse 12, 13, somewhere around, in, in, uh, somewhere around there in Mark chapter 4. He said, unto you it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, when he's talking about the mystery, he's talking about the inner workings. Things that you'll understand because you're his disciple that other people won't. He's talking about how the kingdom of God works. He says, under you, it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. That's what belongs to disciples, but not believers. It's not that it can't belong to them. It's not that it can't be obtained by them. They can't receive and come into the place where they have access to the mystery of the kingdom of God. But you have to make a choice to put the word first. You have to make a choice to continue in the word. Not everybody's willing to do that. So Jesus told his disciples in explaining these things, he said, this is the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now think to yourself in this modern day world that we live in with people going to all different kinds of churches to learn all different kinds of things and whatever else. Notice how people have come to the place. So many people have come to the place where since they can't find the word to work, In their own lives, they make excuses for why it won't work for everybody. Well, it must not be God's will to heal today like it was when Jesus was here on the earth. 
Well, then God's changed and there's part of the Bible we're going to have to tear out. Well, God doesn't want everybody rich. The Bible says he wanted Abraham to be rich and he's not a respecter of persons. So if God doesn't want everybody to be rich, then we've got some other verses we're going to have to scratch out too. Now, some people get offended at the word rich. I decided not to be offended at that. I'm not trying to be the richest man on the earth. I couldn't care less about that. But I do want to have an abundance to meet the needs of my family and then to do what God wants me to do. That's rich. Rich means abundant supply. God wants all of his children abundantly supplied. He always has wanted that. That's why he made the earth and everything that was in it before he put man in the middle. That's why he didn't start with the creation of man. He started with the creation of man's environment. The place for man to live. And man was the ruler over the earth when God created it. Until the fall. So when Jesus says the whole kingdom of God. Everything about the kingdom of God. Everything about what Jesus has done for us. Everything that the Bible reveals that Jesus paid the price for. The Bible says that the whole kingdom of God works this way. By speaking words. Now, there's no point in us wondering or certainly complaining about why things are the way that they are. But instead to realize the simple fact that just getting saved doesn't provide everything for you that Jesus purchased. Maybe I should say that in a different way. Because Jesus purchased everything with one thing and that was his blood. But what I'm trying to say is just because we're saved doesn't mean health and prosperity is going to fall on us. We know that it's the will of God. The Bible says so. But it's not just going to happen automatically. It's not just going to happen because now we're children of God. We're going to have to take the word of God just like we did for salvation. We're going to have to take the good news of what Jesus did. And we're going to have to apply it for ourselves. As an act of our will. We have to actively choose to believe it. And then act on it by speaking words. We know that that's what Romans 10. Verses 8, 9 and 10 talk about. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. That we're saved by grace through faith. So in other words. Faith, believing in the heart and saying with the mouth, your words, based on the information and the truth that God's word reveals. Your words determine whether or not you will access the grace of God, meaning what Jesus did for you. That's true not just for the forgiveness of sins, but that's true for everything else that Jesus purchased. So we should say it this way, I think, or at least understand this. When Jesus said, And you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free by continuing in the word. We only know what we're confessing. It doesn't have to do just with understanding. It doesn't have to just do with a mental process to read and accept. It has to do with taking hold. See, the unsaved take hold of salvation by believing in their heart and saying with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior. 
So that means if we're going to take hold of healing, we're going to have to do the same thing. We're going to have to find what the word says about Jesus taking our infirmities and bearing our sicknesses and acting on it by confessing it to be true in our lives, no matter what our body looks like. So it's through the spoken word that we take hold of and access the things of God. Romans 5.17 says, Since by one man's sin, death reigned by one, much more they which received the abundance of grace, everything Jesus purchased, and the gift of righteousness, the right standing that we have before God, shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So how do we receive the abundance of grace? Simple. By speaking words. How do we act on the gift of righteousness that's provided for us or the righteousness that we are made in Christ Jesus at the new birth by saying we're righteous? See, the reason why so many people never come to the understanding or the acceptance that we are righteous by the blood of Jesus is because they never say it of themselves. Even when Jesus talked about love and forgiveness, it's predicated on faith and confession. He told the disciples, Peter came to him on one occasion and and he said, if my brother sins against me, how many times am I supposed to forgive him? Seven times a day? Jesus said, no, I say unto you seven times 70, which is 490 times a day, you should forgive your brother. Now, folks, think about that for a minute. We understand that that's too big a number for anybody to ever experience. But Jesus is literally saying if somebody sins against you on purpose and attempts to do you wrong on purpose 490 times a day, you still forgive them. Now, maybe that means if they cross that 491 mark, all's off. All bets are off. I, I, I don't know about that. But I know just as well as you do that he's saying it doesn't matter how many times somebody does you wrong, you're going to have to forgive. Well, the disciples' response to that is pretty surprising because they said, Lord, increase our faith, which tells us that they understood that forgiveness was a matter of faith, which Jesus defines as believing with the heart and saying with the mouth. So then we can say we've only forgiven the people that we confess our forgiveness toward. Ouch. Jesus answers when Peter says, Lord, increase our faith. He says this. He says, if you have grain, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this tree, this sycamine tree, be plucked up by the roots and cast into the sea. So Jesus is saying that the key to forgiveness is words. Not necessarily even words spoken to the person you're forgiving. But words spoken to yourself about the love of God that's been shed abroad in your heart. Everything about the kingdom of God comes down to words, folks. Everything you want from God comes down to the words that you speak. Everything. There is nothing that Jesus purchased for you that becomes yours except that you confess it to be yours. 
Jesus said the whole kingdom of God's that way. Everything about the kingdom of God. This is the mystery of the kingdom of God. You are governed by your words. You will take hold of what Jesus purchased for you to the degree that you confess it in your lives. Words rule us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, about verse 36, he said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. The word treasure is the word deposit. He's talking about the word, the context that he speaks these scriptures. He says a fountain shouldn't be able or isn't able to bring forth good water and bitter water. A tree's not able to produce good fruit and evil fruit at the same time. In other words, he says, we as fountains or we as trees, in using the illustration, are made good or evil by the words that we speak. So a good man out of the good treasure or deposited in his heart, we make deposits in our own heart, according to what Jesus said in the parable sowing, sowing the word, we make deposits in our heart by speaking the word, of our, the word of God into our own spirits. So he said a good man out of the good treasure of his heart, good deposit of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man does just the opposite. So he's telling us that words affect us either positively or negatively. But words will govern us. He goes on to say, every idle word, the word idle means worthless. Every idle word that a man speaks, he shall give account of. Every one. Now, I don't think that means God's going to call you on the carpet for telling jokes. I think he's talking about words that govern us. And so when he says every worthless or idle word that a man speaks, he shall give account of. He's talking about every word that's contrary to the word. The word of God, I mean. He's talking about everything that we speak that's contrary to what God's will is revealed to be through the word of God, the Bible. You remember in the Old Testament where the 12 spies went into the land of Canaan. Ten of them came back with an evil report. What was that evil report? It was a report of doubt. God calls evil doubt or vice versa. He calls doubt evil. Then in Corinthians, Paul talking to the church about those guys said that the 10 spies that brought back an evil report, a report of doubt saying that we can't take the land God says is ours. A New Testament connotation or illustration of that would be we can't be healed even though the Bible says Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. We can't be provided for. We can't have an abundance even though Jesus was chastised for our peace. We can't have the peace of God. We can't have the rest of God. We can't have joy in our lives even though the Bible says those are all functions and byproducts of the life of God that Jesus came to provide for us. Any of those things are an evil report. All of those things are an evil report. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians... And said, remember in the wilderness where Israel tempted God these ten times. Now that didn't mean it was ten different occasions. It means it was, there were ten people saying we can't do it. And the Bible tells us, the context that Paul speaks that in is be careful that you don't fall into the same trap. Be careful that you don't question whether or not we can have what the Bible says is ours and it provided for us. Those are worthless words. 
It means there are words without value, not words without power. Because words of doubt have power. They have just as much power as the word of God in your mouth. There's another interesting scripture that's always intrigued me as well. In James, the second chapter, I believe, first part of chapter 3 perhaps, James talks about the tongue. And he says the tongue is, is full of deadly poison. He said it's set on fire of the course of hell. Now what that means is he's saying that, that the tongue, the natural tongue, through the use against God's word, Words spoken against what God's word says to be true will bring about hell's purpose in your life. It's set on fire the course of hell. In other words, the devil brings about his agenda in your life by getting you to speak words against God's truth. So words govern you, whether for good or for evil, whether for heaven or hell. Words govern you. Now, that was certainly not the way the tongue was made to be in the beginning. But James is identifying by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that that's what the tongue has fallen into when sin and death entered the world. So if you're going to reign in life by one Jesus Christ, if you're going to access the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness for the purpose that God intended which is for you to have authority here on the earth and reign in your own life. If you're going to do that, it's going to be because you tame your tongue. It's going to be because and only because you learn the importance and the value and the power of speaking the truth of God's word. And folks, you can't be a disciple without doing that. The disciples that Jesus told us to go into the world and make are people that first and foremost are speaking God's word. We pastored this church for, uh, I think we're in our 31st year. And in those 31 years, there has been no area of criticism greater than the criticism that has come about our preaching concerning confession and the words that we speak. None. This was true in Brother Hagin's day. This was true in the Voice of Healing days. This was true in the Charismatic Revival. This has been true from the beginning. The problem that so much of the church world has with those of us that are doing our best to preach the word of faith like Paul said is without question first and foremost against the confession principle. First and foremost, the biggest problem you're ever going to have with the devil is when you begin to say things the way the Bible says them instead of the way you experience or feel them in your own life. Nothing else is even close. Because the devil knows something that so much of the church world doesn't know. He knows that the word of God in your mouth is the power of God in your life. He knows that. But much of the church, being only believers and not disciples, haven't come to that understanding.
They haven't come to the realization of the mystery of the kingdom of God, the inner workings of everything Jesus has provided for us, the receiving principle of everything that Jesus purchased for us and everything that God wants for you here on the earth just like it is in heaven. It all comes down to words. Words are like containers. They contain power. They contain the ability to shape circumstances and and situations in your life. Speaking the right words, the words that God's word reveals to us, the word of God that shows us God's will for each and every one of us, carry the power of God to effect a change in our life. Jesus said that that principle of faith, believing in the heart and saying with the mouth, would even move mountains. No matter how big your problem is, no matter how big a mountain it looks to be, it'll change it. But words are also containers of evil for those that don't know better. And they'll set in motion the devil's influence to rob you of every good thing that God has provided. Because you are governed by your words. All of us are. By our words we shall be justified. And by our words we are condemned. You choose to speak. You choose what you speak. You choose when you speak. One of the greatest examples of faith that Jesus found in his earthly ministry was the centurion. They came to Jesus and said, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy. Jesus said, I'll come heal him. He said, there's not necessary. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Jesus said, I hadn't found this kind of faith in all of Israel, which is where he should have found it. Because Israel was, had revealed to them from the beginning of their existence as a nation that God deals with us according to the words that we speak. Well, if they knew this and if this was part of their history and their heritage, this was a part of the the doctrine that God intended for them to adopt and adapt to, why didn't he find it in Israel? Because they got tied up with the things of the world and lost sight of the power that is in the tongue. Your tongue is the most powerful thing in your life. Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house in Mark chapter 5. And the story of the woman with the issue of blood is told. A woman comes in the press behind. She's got an incurable disease. She's had this thing for 12 years, this issue of blood for 12 years. She spent all of her living on doctors. was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and said, if I may touch his garment, I shall be whole. Well, she made it to him. She touched him. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, stopped and turned about the press and said, who's touched me? The disciples said, everybody is touching you that can. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. This is just a sideline, but I want you to think about that. 
there could have been hundreds or more people that were sick that were touching Jesus from every direction. It wasn't just the physical touch. It was the words that she spoke. If I can touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. It was the words that she spoke that made her touch different than anybody and everybody else in that crowd that touched him. Her words, not God's word, her words. Her choice about what she said made the power of God available to her when nobody else was getting any of it. Jesus looks around to see her that had touched him. Finally, she fell down before him and told him all the truth, told him the whole story. And while she's finishing her story, somebody comes from Jairus' house and says, don't trouble the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. Jesus instantly turned to him and said, be not afraid, only believe. In other words, he's saying, stick with the words you first said. And don't change it. Now it would seem that it's too late for Jairus' daughter. It would seem that his purpose in getting Jesus to come to his house is for naught. I wouldn't be even surprised if the devil's standing on Jairus' shoulder saying, You'd have made it if it wasn't for that woman. But Jesus says, Be not afraid, only believe. What does that tell us about fear? That tells us that fear will always try to get us to speak words against God's truth. Fear is designed by the enemy to set your tongue on fire to the course of hell. Jesus just simply said, don't say it. He didn't have to wonder. He didn't have to turn to Jairus and say, well, what do you think? The situation is a little different now. And so many people want to discuss things according to their circumstances or according to the way that they feel. And they're quick to say, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not disbelieving when that's exactly what they're doing. Jesus says to Jairus, stick with what you said Don't say anything else. And then they finished the walk to his house. I don't know if that means they stayed quiet the whole way, but I'm guessing that that was the case. Jesus certainly doesn't have to say anything more. Jairus is not going to be helped by saying anything more. He just simply sticks with what he said. My little daughter lies at home at the point of death. Come lay hands on her that she shall live and not die. That's what he said. Well, the not dying part seems to be out of the window. But Jesus said, be not afraid, only believe. So then they get to his house. Jesus raises the little girl from the dead. What would seem to, in any normal situation, what would seem to be impossible was already provided for in the words that Jairus said to Jesus earlier. And that's the way the devil always wants it to be, folks. He always wants you to think that you tried, but it's not working now, so you might as well give up. Peter, I mean, uh, Jesus simply said to Jairus, when he said, be not afraid, only believe, he's telling him, don't give up, because words carry power. 
And the words that we speak that are in line with God's word, the Bible, scriptures, pertaining to our situation, are the same words with the same power that the whole physical realm was created from. The building blocks of the whole universe. And those building blocks of the whole universe, words carrying power, the power of God, will change anything and everything in this physical realm. Even physical death wasn't enough to overcome the words that Jairus spoke. Now, folks, we want to look at the situation, look at the story and say, well, yeah, when Jesus got there to Jairus' house, he raised her from the dead. And he did. But what enabled him to raise her from the dead? See, the whole reason Mark chapter 5 tells us the story of the woman with the issue of blood in the middle of Jairus' story is to show us that the power of God is activated through the words that we speak. So just like the words that the woman with the issue of blood spoke, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Those same words that Jairus spoke brought his daughter back from physical death. Well, if the word is powerful enough to do that, what can it do? I mean, crossing the line of physical death, that seems pretty much up toward the top to me. Oh, no, Pastor Mike, the word of God will raise the dead, but it won't meet my needs. Right. It all comes down to words, folks. The single characteristic that Jesus identified as the difference between the believer and the disciple were words. Continuing in the word of God to come to the knowledge of who God is and what his will is here on the earth, which is just like what his will is in heaven. And then taking hold of those words, appropriating those words with your mouth. That's what makes the disciple. That's why a renewed mind, which Romans 12, 2 tells us is so important that in the transforming of ourselves into God's perfect will. That's why renewing your mind is so important so that we ask. And here's what a renewed mind does. A renewed mind asks in every situation, what does the word say? Because God's word carries power in whatever area you apply it. So the renewed mind is not the mind that knows the Bible back and forwards. It's not the mind that knows everything about the word or has memorized every scripture that there is. It's the mind that says, what does the word say? And whether you can say it from memory or whether you have to look it up to find it, Whatever you find in the scripture that God said pertaining to your circumstance and your situation, those words spoken by you will change the situation. Every time. If we stick to it. If we stick to it. We are governed by our words. What are you saying? Are you saying who you are in Christ? Are you saying that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Are you saying that everything you put your hand to prospers? What are you saying? Or are you saying, you know, every time I get ahead, it seems like something happens and knocks me back down. Well, guess what your future is? Never get ahead. There is nothing more important for us to examine than the words that we speak. Because either positively or negatively, either, either for God or against God, 
either according to the kingdom of heaven or set on fire of the course of hell. Your words are bringing something to pass in your life even now. Well, Pastor Mike, I haven't been saying the right things. What do I do? Get started. Because you need to understand this. The word of God is more powerful than the words the devil wants to influence you to say. And so it can uproot. The words of God in your mouth can uproot some of the work that the devil's doing. It doesn't mean that everything you've said against God or contrary to his word is always going to come to pass. You can change that and nullify a lot of that through the words that you speak that are from Scripture. See, we all started somewhere. We all started at some point where we found out, wait a minute, words matter. God's words matter. But the attention you give to speaking those words will determine your outcome. It'll determine how much of the negative things that you've said in the past will happen uh, in your life or against you. Your attention to the word will identify and reveal how much of the word of God comes to pass on your behalf to stop the devil's agenda in your life. Your words matter. You are governed by your words. There's nothing more important, folks. It's the way we come into the family of God. It's the way we access the kingdom of God. It's the way we take hold of anything and everything Jesus purchased. I think one of the saddest points in the history of mankind will be when we stand before the throne of Jesus and he says, why didn't you take hold of what was yours? Bible says that after we get to heaven, he will wipe away every tear. That's the only thing I can think of, or one of the two things that I can think of, that people to be crying about in heaven. What's to cry about there? I think one of the things will be the lost loved ones or people that we cared about that don't make it. There'll be great sorrow over that because their time and their opportunity will have passed. But the other thing is I think God will show us what we could have had on the earth. And I think that's going to bring a lot of people a lot of sorrow. I want to be one of those people that he doesn't have anything to show. I want to be one of those people where God says, well, I would show you stuff you could have, but you had it also well done. That's the way I want it to be. The Bible says Jesus asked this of himself. He said, when the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith on the earth? Well, the Bible definition tells us that we can say that in a different way. When Jesus returns, shall he find his people speaking his word? That would be faith on the earth, wouldn't it? When Jesus returns, shall he find his people speaking the word? I want to answer a resounding yes for me. How about you? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that because we've chosen to be disciples, not just believers, but we've chosen to be disciples by continuing in your word, we do know the truth. There's more that we can learn, and we ask you to open our eyes to everything that belongs to us in Jesus. But we thank you, Father, for what we know. 
We thank you for the privilege to speak your words. Therefore, we say, even as your word tells us, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation to us. The law of sin and death has been broken by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We say that every part of our bodies are infused and saturated with the life of God. And it changes everything that's wrong in our flesh. It recreates and renews cells to work perfectly that we might be restored to divine health. We say that everything we put our hand to prospers. We say that because we're tithers, the windows of heaven are open unto us. And you are pouring out a blessing upon us that there's not room enough to receive. We furthermore declare that the devourer is rebuked for our sake. As we give, it's given back to us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Shall men give unto our bosom. We thank you, Father, that through the abundance of grace, all that Jesus has done for us and the gift of righteousness, we do reign in this life by one Jesus Christ. We confess, Father, that the peace of God is ours. The wisdom of God is ours. We thank you that our steps are ordered of you, that the Holy Ghost shows us things to come. We thank you, Father, that we always do those things that please you. Thank you, Father, that we are governed by our words. And we choose to speak of the good treasure, the good deposit of your word in our spirits that we might access and understand the mystery of the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord, that we're free indeed. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Your words matter. Your words are the only thing that do matter. Hallelujah. Well, I think we're going to have to praise God again. Let's just lift our hands and thank him for his goodness. Lord, we bless you. We glorify you. We thank you that we're governed by our words. We thank you that your word is at work in our lives and in our bodies. We thank you, Father, that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Blessed be your name. Lord, we thank you that you've made us rich by becoming poor for our sake. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We thank you for providing for us. Thank you for giving to us that we can provide for our families. We bless you, Father. Hallelujah. That there is no shadow of turning with you. You never change, Father, which means your word always works. We bless you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, get busy saying the right things. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.